You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 63 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Pushots. Uh, this month's show is going to be the second part of a conversation I started with uh, New York photographer Antonio Rosario um, back in the October edition where we talked about street photography and we were having a very enjoyable conversation and we were about an hour into that conversation um, when we came to a very natural break point and I asked Antonio if he would mind if we paused it there and then picked the conversation up again at a later date. Well, this was the later date. And uh, we pretty much picked up where we left off. So I will do the same and insert the audio here. Hi, Antonio. Thank you for uh, joining me again for part two of our discussion on street shooting. Um, we chatted, as we record this, it was, what, about two months ago we had our first half of this conversation? You have a better memory than I do. <laughs> I can't remember. It was autumn, I, it wasn't I'll, yet I'll, Christmas, so... I'll take your word for it, yeah. Yeah, so we're recording this now in, in sort of that gap between Christmas and New Year, um, and uh, our second attempt, so I, I owe you an apology and a thank you, because we sort of we ended up accidentally messing up our recording time and ended up wasting some of your time, so sorry about that, but uh, thank you for Answer. coming back. Mm-hmm, no problem. So, where we had left our story last time, because I re-listened to the episode um, a few days ago, to be sure... Uh, we left off basically at the point where we pressed the shutter and we sort of thought that would be a good point to draw a line under our first half of our conversation. So we talked about the gear for street photography, the, you know, the places, the how you go about mm-hmm. thinking about it, how you go about doing it. And then we got right as far as, far as you going click. <laughs> and that's where we ended the conversation after a very good conversation for over an hour or so. Yeah. Click and, and then I hope I get the shot. <laughs> Yeah, so there's actually a good place to start. So, you know, one of the advantages of digital is that there's no particular need to necessarily keep every shot. I mean, it's not like you're paying for them. It's like, you know, if you buy a a roll of film where it only comes with 12 exposures because you're in some sort of medium format camera, then every shutter press is valuable and, you know, must be taken with great care. And digitally Mm -hmm. you can, you know, spray and pray or whatever that phrase is. (laughs) Well, there is that, I mean, there's, two versions of spray and pray. I mean, I, I think there's the spray and pray and hope you get a shot sort of like, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, chimpanzees typing on a, you know, uh, <laughs> typewriters and eventually they'll get Shakespeare. And, you know, that's sort of a random thing. And then mm. there's the um, sort of an educated spray and pray. That's the best way I can kind of say it. Meaning, well, yeah, so you're, you, you know that you're, you're not 100% certain to get the shot, but you're not aiming at random. You're aiming at something specific and you're hoping it comes off. Right, right. I mean, I'm seeing something that is attracting my attention. And because of the style of street photographer I do, where I don't want people to notice that I'm taking a picture, uh, you know, I um, shoot from the hip or the Mm. chest, as it were, sometimes most likely from the chest, because that's usually where I hang my camera around my neck. And I have a fairly good idea of the, field of view of the camera that I use. And, and, and as we recall, I use the, mainly for my street photography, I use the Fuji X100T, mm. which has a, um, 
20, what is it? 23 millimeter lens on it, uh, on an APS-C sensor that makes it the equivalent for a full frame is about a 35 millimeter lens, which is kind of the street photographer's lens. You know, most, you know, street photographers, that would be like the basic lens to use. It's not too wide and it's not too telephoto, but I have a fairly good idea of the field of view of that. And so when I'm seeing a subject that I want to capture, I, I'm pretty confident that I'm aiming my camera in the right direction. And I know that I'll probably be ca probably catching the subject, uh, you know, usually as I'm walking. Hmm. So, um, and I do set my camera up for, uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's um, the fast uh, multiple picture drive. There's two settings on my camera. One is for slow, and it captures like three frames a second, and the other one is for fast. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the camera in front of me, so I don't. Sure. I don't have the camera in front of me. So, w would you have it in the mode where you press once and it fires until it release, or? Yeah, I press it and it might fire three or four shots. Okay, uh, and, and then and then when I release it, it stops. So gotcha. Okay, um, and yeah. you wouldn't get too stressed if you missed a shot. You you know you wouldn't be afraid of taking the risk. I, I'm guessing. Uh, you know, I, I, I tell that to my class, uh, I teach a street photography class in Brooklyn once a month. And one of the things I tell them, uh, in relationship, what you're just asking is like, you know, don't look at the LCD screen. And I always ask them why. And, uh, inevitably someone who's, uh, savvy about this stuff says, well, because you start missing what's around you. I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, I will, uh, take the shot and I will sort of hope <laughs> I got it. But um, yeah, you know, I'm taking multiple shots and uh, I'm, I'm generally uh, getting something. If I miss it, you know, I might not know that I miss it until later because I don't often look at the back of the camera until sure. much later, either on the subway or the next day or, you know. So if I uh, if I miss a shot, I miss it and, and I'm kind of done. But there are sometimes circumstances where I see like a situation where I know, like, I'll, I'll walk by it or something like that, and I'll take some shots, and if I don't get it, I might circle back around and, and try to get it. That's very rare, because it's usually sort of a static subject. And uh, But, you know, if there's something I really want to get, I will look to see if I've, I've got a shot. Um, but sometimes I miss it, you know, and I just chalk that up as to uh, next time. <laughs> yeah, which is fine, right? I mean, you don't have to get them all. No, it's fine, and I, you know... New York, or sorry, I should say Brooklyn. Brooklyn gives me enough uh, of a palette, um, uh, so to speak, that if I miss something, I'm, I know I'll get something at some point in the future. So, you know, no no tears shed, really. I mean, there are a couple of times when I've gone back and looked and say, ah, oh, you know, I just missed it by a hair. <laughs> And you can't make it back in post, right? If it's not sharp or whatever, no, it's gone. I, I, it's one of the things I don't, I don't do is I don't um, – I mean, you know, post we can, and, and we might want to talk about that uh, in this episode. But my post is, uh, I'll, you know, I will not add or subtract um, anything to the image. So, you know, if I miss something, or someone moved, or someone blinked, or it's blurry, uh, and I don't find the the blur acceptable, it's it's garbage. It's gone. You know, Just discard. Continue. Discard. Yeah, yeah. So to some extent, discard. Yeah. Now, a street photography has. A traditional look. It it seems to be predominantly monochrome. So, do you shoot with your camera in monochrome mode, or do you shoot with your camera in just 
regular and then convert to monochrome afterwards. Yeah, I always shoot in color. Uh, well, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say always. That sounds like an absolute. I would say ninety nine percent of the time, I, I will shoot okay. in color um, because I am not because I'm generally not looking um, through the viewfinder or the LCD screen. Sure. Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter sure. what it's showing you because you're not looking at it. So. Right. Yeah. So occasionally with my other uh, Fuji cameras, which um, have uh, a, a bendy screen and sometimes I use for street photography for different kinds, it, I will occasionally set those mirrorless cameras up to shoot in black and white because um, they'll help me see the subject in black and white. And mm -hmm. that kind of helps me think about it a little differently. Um, but I always shoot in you know JPEG and RAW and then I can... Uh, post-process the picture however I want, you know, whether I want to keep the raw, I mean, sorry, the uh, JPEG black and white version or convert it to color, you know, and it just gives me a lot of options that way. And I, and I actually do um, some of the post-processing in my camera. So uh, when I'm done, but, but more or less it's, I shoot in color and, uh, you know, decide later. And, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, thought processes in, in deciding whether or not I'm going to keep it as a black and white or, or a color image. Actually, I mean, you may not be able to answer this. I don't know if anyone's. Why is mm. it that street photography is synonymous with monochrome? I think that's just, I mean, I think we sort of grew up with that in some way, you know? Um, and I think that might be more of a generational thing. Uh, you know, maybe you and I are of, of a generation where we saw a lot of street photography or urban photography or whatever you want to call it, observational photography, where it was sort of given to us in black and white. And, and sometimes I think people think that uh, wrongly so that black and white is more artsy. Um, and, you know, you, I think you see that when uh, people take pictures with their phone and they say, Oh, you know, I'll just throw a, I'll convert it to black and white or I'll throw a black and white filter on it just to make it look kind of, you know, gritty and, and whatever. And, um, and it's probably a wrong reason to do that. But I think, I actually think that's why. I mean, if you're looking at a lot of sh current street photographers, especially people who are uh, sort of grew up in a sense with Instagram and have cr created their sort of street photography careers using, you know, an iPhone camera or Instagram, you're going to probably see a lot more color uh, in, in general. But I, I'm just thinking it's a generational thing. Um, okay. When you think so about like the Vivian Myers or the Gary Renegrands of uh, the world, you know. Uh, or even Brisson, you know. That's who I was thinking of, actually, but that's yeah. a European hat. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, that's what I'm thinking is that that's probably the case. But um, but one of the things I try to tell students is like, you know, don't just convert your picture to black and white because you want it to look like a street photograph. You know, there, there are reasons why you'd want a shot in black and white or reasons why you want it in color. So, you know, to think about it. So I'm guessing you have thought about it um, and that you're not shooting in black and white by default. You're shooting in black and white because you've chosen to shoot in black and white. So I wonder if you could give us any insight into into that choice. Well, uh, I mean, the choice of shooting black and white or the cho yeah. choice of going black, white or color? Well, I mean, so as it happens, if I look at your photo stream, obviously your sunrise pictures, you, you default to very, very strong color. And I mean... To the point where I think you sometimes get critiqued for being not natural, which I think is horse poop. But that's—I <laughs> think we both agree with that's horse poop. Um, but when I look at your street shots, the, the, the look I associate with your work is not just monochrome, but a, a distinct 
flavour of monochrome, which is quite contrasty with distinctly strong whites offset yeah. by distinctly deep blacks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, uh, I sort of harken back to the time when I first started doing photography and first learned on black and white. So uh, once I was able to sort of duplicate something that I kind of remember I used to do when I was, you know, a long time ago, I, I sort of stuck with that recipe in terms of making the pictures. But for me, the, uh, you know, I, I tend to shoot when it's um, very contrasty light, uh, sometimes when it's very sunny or, you know, uh, very, um, uh, you know, diffused light. And actually to me, diffused light is, is great in black and white because it really, when I change a, uh, a picture of the shot and diffuse light to black and white, you really start to see the textures. And, and to me, black and white is mostly about texture. And so I yes. really like to show textures. I mean, where I live, there's just, you know, uh, the streets, the, the, the walls, the signs, the paint peeling, the, the clothing that people are wearing. There, there's so much texture involved with that. And sometimes some of that gets lost when, when you're presenting it in color, it just doesn't quite read. And so, uh, I tend to like to to show that off, and I also tend to highlight that more. So when my pictures are contrastier, it's because I'm really wanting to show off the the textures of um, patterns and things like that. And would you intentionally dodge and burn to draw the eye into different things, or you... oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the the picture is rarely finished when it comes out of the camera. You know, and so the the process I'm going through sometimes. I mean, sometimes the picture will just naturally be that way. Like it might draw, you know, might be a face lit up more than the background. And because I want people to look at the faces, you know, then the picture won't require any work. But often, you know, I will want to direct the viewer's attention someplace. And so, you know, sometimes in post-processing, I will uh, vignette slightly to, you know, darken the corners and draw the eye in. Um, that just feels right sometimes. And, and actually some of my lenses, uh, I've got some on my other cameras, my... Uh, my uh, DSLR versions of the Fuji uh, camera, the interchangeable ones. I've got some lenses that have vignetting built into them because mm. they're kind of cheap. <laughs> and uh, I love shooting with those sometimes because because um, it automatically sort of draws your eye towards the center. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that a lot. And you say you don't want to add stuff or remove stuff, but does that include cropping? Would you consider that part of removing oh, or do you mean well, cloning cropping- it? Well, uh, let's see, two different things. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, 99.99% of the times I don't clone anything out. I just remember I had one photograph where I shot a, a, a Hasidic gentleman um, with his big black hat against a white sky. Mm. And I was just walking by them. And, and when I looked at the picture, there was a, a, a street light coming out of his head. Oh. And it was in a perfectly white sky. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I don't think that's going to be a problem taking that out. And so I actually removed it. <laughs> and you know, I actually thought about it for a while, and and um, you know, it, it gave me pause. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, am I a documentary photographer? Am I am I, am I changing things? And I am changing things because I removed something that was there. But to me, the important part of the shot was the was the gentleman. Yeah, and I wasn't submitting it to the world press, you know photographs and so but again um, if you think about it in a similar sort of argument you would use for your sun your sunrise and sunset photos you're trying to capture the feel of it and when you're there as a human being in physical space 
you have two eyes, so you have a sense of depth. So you, you would never assume the light post was stuck to his head. Right. <laughs> but by collapsing it into the sec- into just two dimensions, you've created this really distracting illusion that wasn't there in the physical world. So removing a distraction that wasn't there in the physical world doesn't seem like cheating to me. Seems like no, compensating. No, it doesn't. It, yeah. And again, it's like the the rare times. Like I might I might take a shot like that and there's a bunch of stuff going on in the background and I'll just chalk it up to like, you know what? The shot doesn't work. Rather than sitting there and, you know, retouching every pole and antenna that's coming out, you know. But in that case, it was the single one. And I was like, you know what? And actually, that's sort of what you're just saying is, like, I never really thought of it that way. Um, that, you know, our eyes are seeing one thing and the camera is going to see something else. And we're trying to sort of translate what our eyes are seeing, or at least and our eyes are, you know, are feeling based, you know, in some way. So maybe it's even beyond um, I, our eyes. It's what's what reaches our brain, which has been you know mediated by all sorts of other stuff as well as just the physics of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're like you said, it's it's a whole sensory experience when you're when you're walking around and and you're experience and you're you want to show somebody else what you saw that day, and yeah. uh, you know, a photograph can sometimes not be the the best way to do it. But um, you know, go back into to what you asked me about before is a cropping. You know, to me, cropping is just an extension of whatever lenses you're using, whatever you're pointing a subject at. You know, there's there's no, uh, you know, I know I hear about the purists and it it really came up more with film, I think, um, that that you would want to show the whole full frame. And I know Brisson was waste film. (laughs) You know, I think he was the one like, you know, you can't crop. Right. And and. I, I think anybody who tells anybody that you can't crop or, or anything is just full of it, you know, because, um, I, like I said, you pick up a, you know, a wide angle lens, you pick up a telephoto lens and you're cropping out, you know, via the lens, everything else that's on the left and right of that. So how is that any different by when you get the final frame and you say, I don't want that stuff on the left and the right. I just want this little piece of it. And um, I don't g- see it being any different. Given so. our modern sensors are quite generous in terms of their amount of pixels available, my inclination would be to shoot somewhat defensively. It's like, well, you know, there's a lot of odds here stacked against me. I'm shooting from the hip. I'm, you know, I don't get a do-over. I'd be inclined to intentionally shoot a little bit wider than needed to give myself that little margin would be my thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. In fact, I wish I wish the camera I had, the uh, the Fuji X100T, had the equivalent of a 28-millimeter lens. Um, mm. It doesn't. It's 35. 35 is a little bit... Uh, it's a little bit narrow for what I, what I like to do. And the, when I started getting into street photography, like really going full guns on it, I had a previous like point and shoot Fuji X camera. It was called the X, uh, was it the X 20, right? So it's a, a much teeny tinier sensor. It's not an APS-C sensor, but it had the equivalent lens of a 28 millimeter. And when I go back and look at the stuff that I shot with that, camera and i realized there's something about the slight distortion of it and the wideness of it that i really really loved i mean i just i adored and that's what really drew me into into doing more and more street photography and then when i decided to upgrade my camera to something with a little bit of a bigger sensor uh, i automatically had to deal with the fact that the uh, lens field of view was a little bit more narrow and that was a little bit of a kind of a hard um, transition to make for me um but yeah i mean you know w- wider would generally be better but of course if you have wider then it's better to have kind of a larger sensor so that if you do some cropping 
you're not losing as much data. Um, and, you know, I'm really not about like megapixels, you know, the mega, megapixel war and bigger pixels. But sometimes, like if you need to crop into a picture and you still want to make a big print, you know, if you choose to make a big print, having having a little bit more on your sensor is, is helpful for that. You know, it's not necessarily better. It's just helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, for me these days with my camera, I tend to only crop the left and the right or maybe the top and the bottom, you know, if I'm shooting horizontal and vertical. Um, but I tend not to do too much more because I don't really want to lose that much more information because, you know, I figure about the size that I would like to print these at. Um, I really don't want to crop out too much, but. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. You're balancing yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get the impression the turnaround time between you shooting an image and you having a finished edited image ready to publish, I get the impression it's quite short. It's Am I wrong in that? <laughs> You're not wrong necessarily, but it's it, it will be mixed. It de- it depends. Um, let's see. Uh, like to, the, I'm on this break now between the holidays from my job, and so I'm not going out as much. And so what I might be doing now is finding uh, images that I had shot at s- some point uh, in the past that I haven't processed, and and. Um, releasing those on uh generally on instagram uh and twitter um but like on a like on a daily basis when i'm going to work the turnaround might be like a day or two um but sometimes like if i walk by something that i know the shot was like oh i knew i got that shot (laughs) you know or the subject was really good like one time i was going to the subway and there in front of the subway, people are feeding pigeons, which is kind of disgusting <laughs> because yeah, the they're all rats, over the place. Yeah. I think the only thing pigeons are good for is photography. Sorry. <laughs> just, as in they make taking photography pictures. during World War One, or? No, I mean, like, as, as in getting in pictures. They look great in pictures, but in New York, I mean, I, I'm not a pigeon hater. I, I can tell you from personal experience, they're delicious. <laughs> yes, I haven't, I haven't had the pleasure yet, and I don't think I will. Well, my grandfather used to keep them, and they breed like rats or like rabbits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea you keep your few that you like, and they make more babies than you can shake a stick at, and all of the extras go into the pot at the end of the year. Yeah, and my I'd grandmother sooner... was really good at cooking them with. I, I believe the secret is like two bottles of red wine. But oh my god, <laughs> I'd sooner eat your grandfather's pigeons than anything in this city. But fair point. But anyway, I was I was walking to the the train, and and right in front of the. Um, the uh, entrance of the, the the subway, it was, there was a ton of pigeons, and I decided to purposely sort of walk near them so that I would disturb them a little bit, you know. In some sense, you know, and then see what happened. And they took off, and they and they and they flew. And this gentleman was walking towards me, uh, and I got a shot of him, and like I kind of knew like this is going to be a good shot. And by the time I got down to the subway and settled down, I, I was checking the back of my camera, and I was like, yes, I got it, and. I transferred it to my phone and I processed it in Snapseed. And okay, by the time back, I got back up out, a second there because oh yeah, you transferred it to your phone. You say that like it's so straightforward. Oh, H- how does that work? Well, a lot of the newer mirrorless cameras, including the Fuji um, X series, have built-in Wi-Fi. And oh. yeah, but before that, just to if I can go back in time mm-hmm. a little bit with my X twenty, the 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 um the Fuji point and shoot camera, they, they didn't have Wi-Fi built in. And I ended up buying one of those little my, was it Wi-Fi cards or yes. Wi-Fi. 
the SD cards. Am I saying it right? It's MiFi. It's, it's MiFi, I think, is what it was. Yeah, yeah they have MiFi. a tiny little antenna built into the actual card. Yeah, and I and I I used that to then transfer pictures to my phone because the camera did not have built-in Wi-Fi, and that was a real pain in the butt. Right. By the way, and those things drained power. Um, the MiFi cards. No yeah, the MiFi cards because yeah. they were they were sucking down power to to broadcast Wi-Fi. Yeah. So anyway, if you have a camera with built-in Wi-Fi, do you then have a matching app from the camera manufacturer on your your phone, is it? There is. There is one from Fuji, which is not really a very good app. Um, there's a couple of third-party ones. I know of one that I have. I can't remember the name of it. If I can fire it up, let's see. But yeah, the Fuji one has, uh, what is it called? So it's called Camera Remote. And, and the third-party one is called uh, Cascable. C-A-S-C-A-B-L-E. Uh, and what you do is essentially take your phone out. And, uh, once you set up the Wi-Fi on your um, camera, you turn the, the Wi-Fi on the camera, you use your phone to um, seek out the Wi-Fi hotspot, as it were, on the camera. Mm. And then once the two, you know, handshake and connect, then you just go to the app uh, and you, you fire it up and it, and it starts to um, download only the JPEGs, by the way. So not the okay. not the raw files, you know. Um, so if you look at the back from, of the camera and you're like, yeah, it didn't quite work out. That one needs a bit of TLC. You'll, you'll wait till you get home. Well, actually, not necessarily, because I, 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 I've done a lot more processing, post-processing on the camera itself. And, and this is going to sound like a Fuji commercial, and I'm sorry about that. No, I mean, it, 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 like, I, I've shot with Nikon for years, and the one thing you couldn't pay me to do is to edit my photo on the back of that Nikon. It's just a pointless exercise of futility. Yeah, the, I have the Nikons too, and, and I never, ever, ever thought of post-processing a, a picture on a on a camera um, before because I was like, why bother? I mean, like, it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. And then when the Fuji started entering my life and they started to, uh, you know, if you shot raw – you could do actually a very large amount of post processing on the back of in inside the camera. The the built in raw processor on the Fuji cameras is fantastic. And so, you know, since I, I I'm shooting raw and JPEG, I've already got the raw file there. And so I'm, if I'm looking at a picture, I'm like, you know what? It's not quite what I want. I can adjust things like exposure, um, uh, dynamic range a little bit. There's like a dynamic range shadow, uh, you know, recovery and highlight recovery feature. Um, what else can I do? I can change the white balance. I can change the tint of the picture. I can change the highlight and shadow, uh, intensity. Um, I can change what's called film simulation. Uh, the Fuji's got multiple film simulations, so I can actually change the way the color palette looks. And there's probably a couple of other things that I'm missing. Oh, like in the newer cameras, I can add and subtract grain, uh, should I choose to. Um, and so there is a quite a large amount of stuff I can do. So if I look at the back of my camera, I see something I need to tweak, like if I need to boost exposure, I just do it in the camera. And then the camera will save a new JPEG. And then when I get to turn on the Wi-Fi, I'll transfer that newly processed JPEG uh, to my phone. And then I'll do, I might do some tweaking, maybe, maybe not, you know. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually moved a little bit further away from my desktop in terms of uh, doing processing. In fact, I pretty much moved away entirely from my street photography um, to the phone and the camera, or camera and the phone, I should say. Cool. Yeah, okay, so it just, I don't know. When it's, it gets to the phone, you mentioned Snapseed is your editor of choice? Uh, I use two different apps. I use Snapseed and I use Lightroom. And Snapseed is mainly for 
the uh, street photography um, mm -hmm. because it has some really nice black and white uh, features in it. Um, it's also a very gentle processing uh, application, which means uh, it, it just doesn't, you, you can go overboard with it, but if you want to do very slight and subtle uh, um, adjustments to an image, it will let you do that. And the, the great thing about it is that it doesn't, you can always um, re-edit the picture should you choose to. So it's kind of like saving a layered uh, Photoshop file. You can come back to it and, and reprocess the image should you choose to do that. And then I use Lightroom mainly for my urban landscapes, you know, for things like the sunrises and things like buildings and other things that are, are generally not with people. Um, right. I, so I, and sometimes I'll use both programs together depending on the shot. I'll, send the shot from Snapseed to Lightroom or vice versa to, to polish it off. But Snapseed is great because it's free and it uses some of the technology that uh, uh, Google purchased from, why am I spacing out now? The, the Nick filters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it uses the, a similar thing called like the U-Point technology, which I thought was fantastic. It was such a great way to process your uh, images because it felt very, kind of analogy dark roomy, you know, like dodging and burning used to do if you're if you're yeah. remembering times when you were in a dark room and you had to like burn a little circle onto your onto your image. It, it had that kind of feel. And they brought that to uh Snapseed and it works really well with the touch screen, you know, on a iPhone or an iPad. Um because it just feels natural for some of the things for you to do. So uh but it, and it's free. <laughs> it can't argue with free. That's they haven't updated it lately to, to the new iPhone uh tens though, which is a real kind of a annoying thing. But yeah. it still works. It's great. And how do you find Lightroom? I'm heading towards using Lightroom more on my iOS device. I haven't really done much serious editing, but I've you know, I, I have my library in their cloud now, so I'm accessing my stuff on my iOS devices at least. Uh, I, I am using it again for JPEGs, not for raw. So I haven't, I haven't, uh, well, that's not true because with the built-in camera on the new iPhones, you can shoot raw or at least with the newer uh, iPhones. And so I will sometimes shoot raw on my iPhone and then process it in Lightroom and the pictures look great. I mean, they're fantastic, but, uh, I'm mostly using JPEGs and I actually like Lightroom in a sense, I like it a little bit better on the phone or on a screen than I do on my desktop. Interesting. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I don't know. There's something, uh, I don't know, something a little more organic about it. It still needs some tweaks. There's still some kind of headaches, you know, like, like cloning on it is a real pain. Um, there's a few other things that I think they could really need to work on in terms of like the interface between you and the, and the image. But in general, I think it does really, really well. And again, it's also another uh, application that can be very gentle to your pictures. And since I'm processing JPEGs, I don't want to go overboard, you know, in terms of, well, you said overboard, <laughs> think of my sunrises, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I try not to go overboard with that. They look great on my, my iPhone screens. Um, but I, I, uh, it, you can, I can really just tweak pictures very subtly if I want to. And, uh, and again, what's nice about that is that, you know, eventually it, it does synchronize to my desktop. So should I want to do anything further on my desktop, I can. Um, and right now my, like my, my cloud uh, storage is about like 85% full. So I gotta, gotta start. Ooh. Getting, yeah, I know, I know. And then he's giving me all these warnings and I got to get some of the pictures off of there, but cause I just or, or buy I, more like, space, which is, I think, or buy more. To do. <laughs> 
uh, I'm already paying enough money to Adobe for space. I think I'm going to have to start getting well, pictures off. I'm considering getting rid of my standalone desktop app and replacing it with the cloud-only subscription because then you get a few terabytes for your tenner a month. Oh, really? Yeah, but that means giving up desktop Photoshop, which I never uh, use. Well, yeah, but I'm not sure about the cloud version of Lightroom yet. I think they're... I don't think it's quite up to par for the desktop. If that's I'm what you're trying thinking. to use it, so basically, I'm spending the next month basically trying to decide what I'm doing, and so I'm forcing myself. I got a new, I got a new iMac recently, and I have not installed the full Lightroom. I've only installed the new Cloud Lightroom, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing if mm-hmm. I can survive on that. And if I can survive on that, then I'm going to switch subscriptions to the one where I get the few terabytes of cloud storage, and I'm going to get all of my photos off my spinning hard drives here and stop worrying oh about them and put them safely well, but in the don't cloud. you have to i mean like you know if they're if they're only existing in the cloud aren't you doesn't that make you a little nervous in some way i'm paying adobe to look after them i think i should you know it's not like i'm putting them know. in a free cloud service that that worries me immensely. i'm assuming you'd have a some hard drive version of your pictures too i mean you're not just putting me <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I really don't want to... I, the reason I loved Aperture is because I didn't want to have to manage files. And I really... I, I want to get back to photography and not file management. Yeah, but, you know, well, okay. I, yeah, I have an yeah, opinion I'm about getting, I'm getting to the point where I'm just fed up, but at some stage I'm going to be like, it's in Flickr and it's in Adobe. That'll do. Ah, uh, well, okay. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I, all... I may change my mind on this, but right now I'm just I... getting so cranky with being a file manager instead of a photographer that I'm... Well, I get that. I mean, I've, but, you know, photog- as a photographer, I'm sitting here, you know, even when the film days, we were file managers. I mean, I got, <laughs> you had to buy file cabinets and you had to stick your slides in them too. And sort of, sort of a lot more of a headache to manage them back then. But I mean, you know, I, I actually dig the the cloudy part of the Lightroom mobile because, um you know, once I transfer my pictures from my camera to my phone, I know that once I get into a Wi-Fi hotspot and I load up Lightroom, that those pictures and the adjustments will will get backed up. And so I don't have to worry about, you know, if something went wrong with my phone, it's, that I'd lose those pictures, you know? To me, the great thing is you're able to just take out your iPad at any stage and just your pictures are just there. So Yes, yes. You know, you're that, at home with family and you want to show a picture. You're not digging for a laptop or anything. They're just they're just there. Yeah. Well, the the workflow that I've decided that I'm enjoying much more, really the desktop is only my archive. So, you know, the vast majority of stuff I'm doing, I'm doing on my phone, and mm-hmm. then because it will up, you know, it'll upload to the cloud at some point, and I know that when I turn on my desktop computer that it will download there. Yes. You know, that becomes sort of my, you know, quote unquote, cloud storage, you know, um, like I said, I, I really don't like sitting in front of the computer anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got, you know, an old, old uh, 2009 Mac Pro, which, which have got multiple, multiple terabytes of, you know, hard drive space devoted to pictures. And there's no way I think I could afford a cloud for that much data that I have. I mean, I have probably close to three quarters of a million shots on wow. my uh, in my uh, my archive, so that would require a lot of. Um, I think the cloud version of Lightroom might fall over in a heap. <laughs> well, the desktop version actually is is surprisingly not doing too bad, considering that that I don't think that uh, Lightroom was destined to hold. You know, well, a, a single library is holding you know three quarters of a million shots, and uh, a lot of those most you know in the past 
probably more in the past 10 years. Cause when I started doing street photography, I really started shooting a lot more. And mm -hmm. like I was saying before is that, you know, I'll tend to two, you know, three or four shots sometimes and uh, of a single subject, you know, maybe as I'm walking by, but um, this is not going to be good to hear, but I don't generally delete stuff. Um, <laughs> do you mark it as rejected or do you use stars or how, I, how do you sort the wheat from the chaff then? Uh, again, it's, it's what, what generally ends up being edited. Uh, so in other words, stuff that makes it from my camera to my phone and then eventually, you know, back into my aircraft. Those are the, those are the, um, that's the wheat or anything else is generally, I wouldn't say chaff in a way, because I like to say, you know, maybe I'll come back to it or maybe there's something in a picture that I like to, um, you know, spend more time with. But the, the problem is that my volumes are very high in terms of what I shoot and the practical part of me sitting down and deleting stuff. I mean, I'll actually delete stuff off my camera, which I tell people, you know, don't do that. <laughs> as soon as you have no choice, you know, you, you hit the shutter button and nothing happens. And you look down and it says 980 out of 980. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do that if I'm running out of space in my car. But I'll, I'll, I'll go back like when I'm sitting on the, on the train and I'll say, you know what, you know delete that one, delete that one, delete that one. This is just what I do. And people say, don't delete stuff off your camera. And, and I could see cause there could be issues, but you know, I like to live dangerously. Um, <laughs> so do as I say, not as I do delete from the computer, but I have like, my volume is so high that I really don't have any practical time to sit and go through and delete all the bad pictures. It, yeah. It's just, it's, it, I'm not, hmm, how do I say this? I'm going to say I'm not getting paid for it. I really am not. And I have to spend the rest of my time when I'm not doing photography, which is not my main source of income. I have, you know, I've got two day jobs. And so, you know, if I was doing photography full time or if I had an assistant, you know, I might be a little bit better at getting rid of the the missed shots, but I'm not. And so, you know, I'm not sure what percentage of those, you know, three quarters of a million are, are you know, ungood pictures. Um, might be a you know twenty or thirty percent uh, that I don't really want to see in there, but I just tend to transfer the stuff you know when I and what I'll do is I'll I'll have a thirty two gig card in my camera and I won't dump the stuff for like a couple of weeks. Uh, it right. stays on my camera for a while. It's just like the old days with film, you know. Okay. Um, something sort of still on the processing angle. Um. Obviously, if the end result is majority monochrome, then a big part of your editing process must be the conversion from the color to the monochrome. Yeah. And, you know, there's multiple different ways of achieving that, you know, from sliding the saturation slider to zero, which is probably the most naive and not good way of doing it, to channel mixers. I mean, there's all sorts of different techniques. So how, how do you do that conversion? Well, again, mostly I'll, I'll do the conversion in uh, Snapseed. If I'm if I'm deciding a picture is going to be black and white, I do it in Snapseed. Once in a blue moon, I'll do it on Lightroom. But the um, Snapseed has a great black and white converter because what it will let you do is choose to convert that image using the equivalent of a uh, filter. So I can right. convert my my. Um, black and whites using uh, the equivalent of a red filter or a green filter or an orange filter, or lately they just installed one for a blue filter. Uh, and that means that certain colors um, will get transferred to black and white uh, depending on the, um, on the filter uh, intensity. Um, so like skin tones might get enhanced or kind of crazy if I convert 
a um, black and white using a red filter because uh, there's a lot of red in skin. And so skin will tend to get lighter uh, in that black and white conversion. It can actually get to the point where it looks kind of like almost like ghosty. Um, And then on the other end of that scale is uh, converting a black and white using a blue filter. And it tends to darken skin tones a lot. And sometimes people with uh, like, if I'm shooting someone with a darker skin tone and I really want you to see the, the, the darkness or the richness of the skin tone in black and white, I will convert that using uh, Snapseed with a, uh, the black and white conversion filter uh, of blue because I want the skin to really be rich. And so it's, it depends on what I'm trying to highlight in, in the shot. Most times I just use the regular black and white converter, which is just a sort of an average. It's not like dialing the saturation down. It's like you said, it's, that's a naive way of doing it because you're not dealing with different uh, tonalities of a shot. Yeah. You're just taking the color out. Um, you're not dealing with the sort of the brightnesses of the different tones in the shot uh, or the amount of uh, light that's being reflected off of different colors. But like, you know, if I, if like someone's skin is like hidden, if a face is like hidden in shadow, I might convert with a red or orange filter to bring the skin tone out a little bit more to brighten it up. Yeah. Um, so it, it depends, it's really going to depend on the shot. Uh, it, it, what kind of light did I shoot it in? Did I shoot it in, in shade? If I shot it in, you know, um, if there's a lot of blue ambient light, I might. Uh, convert it using an orange filter to sort of compensate for some of that blue ambient light. Um, so it, it really is looking at it, looking at the subject, reading the subject. What am I trying to say with the picture? Where do I want someone's eye to go? And then, and then finding the the black and white conversion that works the best. And so there's not just one, you know, generally it's, it really is a looking at the shot and deciding. Yeah. Did I answer your question? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, you did. So, I mean, and those color filters are in effect, they're like presets on a channel mixer is really how you should think about right. it. Because right, right. Yeah, if you're thinking about it in terms of Photoshop mode, yeah, that would be the that would be the equivalent. Um, Lightroom, I'm not sure. Lightroom has those kind of features as a channel mixer. It just presents it differently. And I actually think in a more intuitive way, frankly, at least the Lightroom desktop version of Lightroom. I don't do much of the conversions on the, on the, uh, on the uh, mobile version. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. to. Uh, I don't. I don't shoot a lot of monochrome, so it's not quite my excuse. But I know I used to have a lot of fun when I would occasionally do monochrome uh, with the channel mixer. You know, letting me get you know nice um, you know blue skies to black and stuff uh-huh. like that. Yes, yeah. Fun. That's the equivalent of in the old days shooting uh, with a red filter on your black and white on black and white film. Yes, because you're stopping. Yeah, you're stopping the blue light, so it goes to black, and then the white clouds stand out amazingly well. Of course. Yeah, yeah, and they can. That can also look really kind of. It's so funny that can look so unrealistic in some way, right? Because you, in the real world, your the blue skies are generally not that dark, um, mm. and and but you can really kind of mess around with somebody and say, "Look, I just converted this." You know, using you know uh, the equivalent of a red filter and 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 darken that black sky. And I've done that for some of my my landscapes or landscapes, my urban landscapes, yeah. uh, especially with clouds and stuff like that. Or there's a shot that I did for my window, um, which I I did as an homage in a way to Ansel Adams, uh, Moon, Moonrise Hernandez, New Mexico, and I called it Moonrise over over Brooklyn, <laughs> and it it actually got pulled for a book. Um, a book about Brooklyn, Brooklyn photography. And it was, it's one of the opening shots. It's a oh, cool. double page spread. 
and I it it was a full moon, right? Well, not quite a full moon. Um, what's the when the moon is going away from full? Uh, oh, I, I never remember whether it's waxing. Or yeah, waning. it's it's on its way out, <laughs> but it's just very slightly. So it's not a full moon, and it's rising because uh, I face east from my window, and and I. It, it was like the sky was perfect and it was the sunset and it was lighting the buildings. I'm like, this looks like that Ansel Adams version. And so I shot it and then I converted it to black and white and I darkened the sky using the, the kind of channel mixing you're talking about. Mm. And it really made the moon pop out and it ended up in this book in about Brooklyn and I love it. But uh, yeah, sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not quite street photography, but it's urban photography, you know? So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything that you think we really should talk about, about street photography before we call it a day? I've, I've sort of, yeah. my questions have sort of come to an end, but I'm wondering what have I not asked you that I should have asked you? Well, th- again, I, and I think about this with my students. It's like, what, a, you know, they're, they're coming in for the first time and trying to understand street photography. And, and I always ask them, like, do you think you can do, you know, street photography, just because you live in, you know, Brooklyn or New York, that you, you do street photography. And, and, and I also try to say to them, look, you know, you can be in Idaho, you can be in Alaska, you can be, you know, on a cruise ship and you can do quote unquote street photography. I, I think street photography is not the greatest name for this kind of photography. And I'm not sure what to label it as, you know, um, and street photography just seems the easiest way to say it. But, you know, you can do, you know, candid portraits of people on a cruise ship. You know, you're not on the street, you're on a boat, but you can do the same kind of crazy shots. You know, yeah. so is it like observational photography? Is it life photography? Is it just photography? You know, <laughs> I guess <laughs> like, to some extent the answer to that is yes, yes, it is just photography, yeah. right? But it's like this this observational kind of recording of uh, uh, where you live, who you see, what you see. You know, um, in some way for posterity. You know, like what is what does it look like at the time that you're living? Um, you know, I don't know if Vivian Meyer would have considered herself a street photographer. She's just walking around taking pictures of things that she knows and she sees, you know. Uh, and yet we sort of label her as a as a street photographer. Um, that I don't think it's quite the right, you know, the right thing to 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 say. But, I, you know, the other thing about street photography is, you know, I, I tend to show a lot of pictures of people, right? And people, I, I know I can see people looking at this. Like, I don't want to take pictures of people. I'm nervous of taking pictures of people. I said, well, that's why I do it on the sly. You know, part partly is I don't want to stop people and say, hey, can I take a picture of you? And the, you know, we we probably talked about this on the camera. If we talked about this in the on the previous episode, but you know, I I really like to capture people being natural. It's sort of the equivalent of like when you're sitting at a cafe, right? And you watch people go by. You don't stop and say, hey, hey, can you look at me? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's sort of if, if you tell people that you're observing them in their normal life, they're, that's it. You've ruined it. Yeah. You're not yeah. observing them in their normal life. You're, you're now getting. Yeah. And, and I say there's nothing wrong with stopping people and taking their portraits. It's it's not a this is better than the other thing. It's just my style is not to like I just like to observe people and I like to see them being the way they are, you know, and we can also go into this whole thing about like, well, am I, am I actually changing things by actually taking pictures of them? You know, the, you know, Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Well, the right, of- but it, it's, it really is different, right? I mean, taking people's portrait in the street is photography and it is valuable. And like you say, it's not a value judgment. It's just different. It's, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same thing. A fly on the wall documentary 
and an in, a face-to-face interview are both highly valuable things, but they're different. Exactly. Yeah. I think the, the fly in the wall part is what I like. But I like to also say to people that, you know, street photography doesn't have to include people in it, right? It doesn't, you know, but I do, I do think that it has to have something to do with humanity. Aha, like some, okay. Okay. And so that's the, you know, um, even if you took a picture of a dog on the street or, you know, uh, I don't know, you can An come up with a million toy, something like that. Yes. I mean, like everything some has something to do with a little bit about humanity and, and the story of humanity and, and it continues that story. And so, um, that I think you can find anywhere because after that, then it becomes something else. Then it's like nature photography or landscapes or something like that. But I think the one hallmark of what we call street photography is we need to sort of continue the human story somehow. And it can have people in it. It doesn't have to have people in it, but it has something that has to do with humanity and human beings. Um, And I think that's where I think, you know, once people once people hear that, like, oh, well, I can go around and shoot, you know, piles of garbage and discard. Yes, that's great because that's part of our story, you know. So what continues that? What continues the story of people and humanity? Um, that That's something that I think, you know, I like to try to tell people more often that, uh, you know, if you don't have to go and get up to somebody in their face and or even be sneaky, not be sneaky about things, you can... You can find a million different stories about humanity in the world and your camera. Uh, you should be able to record those and, and, and capture that. Cool. That's about the only thing I can think of. So you're ending with a little, a little bit of a picture. Go ahead, give it a go. Try. Have fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and don't think that, uh, you know, part of the fun is you don't you don't have to travel to some far off different, diff, you know, distant place to, to, to practice your street photography. I mean, I, I literally do it within, you know, a few square blocks of my house. And, you know, if you go to my Flickr and Instagram and you see the variety of work that I've done, yeah. you also might see some of the same people over and over again. But, you know, the variety of things that I do in just this small amount of space, you know, and like I said, I'm on this break between my my day jobs and I've been. I've been thinking I've got to go into the city because I don't live in New York city proper. I am outside of one of the outer boroughs and I need to just go into New York city with my camera and spend an entire day there. Like I'll probably shoot, you know, 2000 pictures, especially now during the holidays, while all the tourists are in town and I'll have, I'll have enough work to keep me busy, you know, processing until probably the summer. If I just did a day in the city, cause it's just going outside of my normal, my normal zone, you know? Yeah. So, but uh, I mean, the other thing I, I, you know, sorry, one more thing is sure. that street photography is such a great way to practice for all, for many other different kinds of um, photography. So, you know, thinking of sports photography, wedding photography, you know, photographing kids or anything that requires you to think fast and, and you know, street photography is a great way to practice. So if someone's saying, I like, I like to be a wedding photographer. Well, you know, give, give yourself a, a shot in the street. And, uh, cause you really have to think sometimes, um, and, you know, then you can take those skills and translate them to, to other, um, types of photography. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. And it's the fact that you don't get, you don't get to have a do over. So it is good practice for those more high, high pressure yes. situations. Yes. Yeah. And you want to really get, you know, uh, something is just walk around with your camera stuck in your face in a crowd of people and just like 
give it a go. I mean, you're going to get some people who give you dirty looks and some people will probably give you the finger, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I always say, be respectful. You know, if someone says they don't want their picture taken, um, you know, don't start a fight. Don't think you're right and stuff like that. Even though you, you know, you you can cite the constitution at them, but it's not going to help the situation. It's not, you you want to be generally like, you know, not be a bad person, you know? And so, um, but I, I always found that sometimes like you can start a really great discussion with someone about, you know, having just took their picture and, you know, you can meet all sorts of people. And so I think it's a great gateway to, uh, I mean, it's funny to say gateway to humanity, but it is, I think it's, a, yeah. you know, it, it can be a very positive thing. And, you know, of course you don't want to get, you know, punched in the nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, I always try to avoid that. that. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's, you know, but so far, like, you know, knock on, you know, wood in a way or particle board, <laughs> <laughs> um, like the amount of street photography I've done, I've, I've never been, you know, called out, um, by somebody. And if someone did say, stop taking pictures, I would stop. And sometimes I would go up to people and say, can I take your shot? You know, that's very rare, but I'll do that occasionally. And it's all been a great experience. It's kind of why I like it so much. And it, um, I actually just had a student a couple of, couple of weeks ago who was just starting to learn, uh, street photography and he's saying he's he actually bought the same kind of camera I have, and he said it was addictive. And I said, you know what, you're right, because like once you start doing it, you, you almost can't stop. It just becomes this sort of addiction, and it, and it keeps driving you to do more and do more and do more because it's an ever changing world. And so, you, you know, you tend to to find new and wonderful uh, subjects, uh, you know, everywhere. So, I, I definitely encourage it. And it's not, you know, you know, I don't I don't think you can make a career in it. To be to be honest with you, it's not a it's not the thing that you go to do to make money. You know, if, yeah. if someone is thinking about like, well, yeah, I'd love to be a street photographer. Nah, you know, I would, I would think that's a hard thing to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say don't think about it as a job. Think about it as something to have a lot of fun with and explore. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that covers it all. I'm probably leaving out a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know what will happen? The moment we hang up the call, you'll go, oh, I should have said. <laughs> okay, I got another one. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you know, don't get don't get too attached to your equipment either. Um, you know, you want to you wanna be able to have, I, I think having a very small and light, you know, camera uh, is is probably what you're going to want to go with rather than r- running around with a, with a giant, you know, Canon 5D Mark whatever. Right. Um yeah, just because, you know, you want to be able to carry around. You carry the camera around with you all the time. Like, that's – I'm literally walking out the door and my camera's around my neck all the time. And, you know, not keeping it in a bag. I carry it around all the time because I don't know what I'm going to see on my way out on the street. And, you know, the smaller, lighter camera is just much easier to – you know, it's not a burden. It doesn't become this job that you have to carry. People don't take you as seriously, you know, if you're walking around with a camera like that, you know, point and shoot looking kind of thing. But I I also say like, don't get too attached to the gear because it's going to get beat up. You know, it's going to get abused a little bit. Um, My camera has got, you know, dust on the sensor and dust in the viewfinder and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it, it really is just a tool to capture stuff. And so, you know, I wouldn't, you know, if you have a really pristine camera that you don't want to get messed up, like, eh, you might want to buy something else, you know, even a, even something used that's already kind of beat up a little bit. But um, that's what I'm noticing is like, you know, just don't get too attached to the stuff because it's going to get, you know, banged around a little bit. So it's really not about the gear, you know, it's about what you capture with it. And don't be afraid to use your camera in case it might get damaged. It's like, well, no, it's for using. It's not for 
you know, right. admiring on a shelf. Right. You can always buy another camera, you know. Yeah. Uh, there, there'll always be a new something that you can get, but... Uh, I, I, you well, know, Fuji will I, certainly I'm... like your your point of view on this, Antonio. <laughs> I, 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 for some reason, they've made the what what I really like about the the Fuji cameras, and this is again a little bit of a kind of like fanboy kind of thing, but they've decided to put a lot of the um, exposure controls on on dials on the outside, and so as a street photographer, like I don't have to dial in menus. And stuff like change exposure to change shutter speeds to change the aperture, all that stuff is sort of right where my hands are, and so it becomes muscle memory when I need to deal with things like you know increase the shutter speed or I need more depth of field. You know, uh, that becomes something where I don't even have to look down at the camera that much. You know, and so that became a practical thing for me. You know, um, I'm not saying you can't do street photography with other kind of cameras, but like you know, you really want to move and you want to. You want to be light, you know, uh, on your, on, you know, not having to think of stuff while you're while you're out there, and that, like, they decided to make their cameras like kind of like old days, where all the stuff was on the outside. You know, you can change ISO on the outside now, without having to go into a menu, um, and so that became a really good, you know, tool for for being quick on the on the change stuff like that. So I know there's a few other cameras that have that. I know the, I think the Olympus Pen is a. That's a great little camera, by the way. I would love to get that camera <laughs> just as a, you know, another thing to carry around. But they, they've they decided to put all the stuff on the outside uh, or a lot of the stuff on the outside. So anyway. Cool. All right. I think I think I got it all. <laughs> okay. Well, before I let you go, um, just could you quickly remind the listeners about your podcast and where they could catch up on that? Well, yeah. My podcast is called Street Shots, and uh, it's – you know, from my other persona as the, one of the switch to manual guys, um, I'm only, I'm the only switch to manual guy now. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, switch, uh, street shots is a podcast. I'm re- actually recording one tonight. Uh, so it comes out twice a month. And right now my, my switch to manual website, which is where I usually post the podcast is very much under construction. Um, so right now you can find the podcast. Well, you can find it on iTunes and, um, Spotify and Stitcher and uh, also Podbean is where I host it. So if you go, if anybody knows about Podbean, you can find the podcast there. But I do it twice a month. And uh, yeah, that's my joy. And uh, I love podcasting. And I have to thank you again on air for uh, helping me. Uh, you're uh, one of my um, people I look up to for podcasting when I first started. And so I have to thank you again for that. But, well, uh, that, I, and you've inspired a lot of my episodes, so it, it, thank goodness it works <laughs> twice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I love doing it. So, Excellent. yeah, I'll be recording one tonight. I don't know what the subject is yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. Well, no, I actually do, but it, I tend to do them on the flight. Like, I try not – they're generally sort of thought processes. And I'm going to have another photographer from uh, Canada on. Uh, uh, and uh, so, yeah, look for it. Look for so I look forward to hearing that in my feed soon then. Antonio, yeah. thank you very much for, for giving of your time. And um, I Absolutely. hope you enjoy the rest of your time off before it's back to business as usual in January. I will. And uh, I appreciate you having me on for part two. It was a lot of fun. Well, my, my pleasure. And I'm sure we will talk again. Yeah. Uh, happy New Year. Same to yourself. I just want to thank Antonio again for giving of his time. Um, just before I wrap up the show, just to say... 
I hope uh, everyone listening had um, a good Christmas and uh, I wish you all the very best for 2019. Happy New Year to you all. Um, Also, just to thank all of you who have supported the show throughout 2018 and indeed before then. And I guess to say, you know, if you're enjoying the show, do please consider continuing to support the show or perhaps becoming a supporter of the show for the first time. You can support the show in very practical ways by just simply telling your friends and you know who may enjoy the show about the show just you know share the word that is a great big help you can review the show in itunes or whatever podcatcher you use again it's extremely helpful when people do that um, and you can also uh, support the show in more fiscal ways um if you go to let's-talk.ie you'll find large blue buttons under the heading support the show um the Patreon link will allow you to pledge a small dollar amount per episode released. It's one Patreon for both the Apple and the Photography Podcast, so it's basically exactly two episodes per month. So if you'd like to support $2 a month, pledge $1 per episode. You get the idea. Um, also, there is a PayPal option to send a you know one-off larger donation. And there are also affiliate links for domain registrations from Hover.com and for uh, Linux server space from DigitalOcean.com. Um, so if you need server space or domain registration, if you use those affiliate links, then you'll be supporting the show while getting the services you need. I'm going to draw a line under that. Um, you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey Siri, could you read the Three Geeky Ladies promo script? Sure. Elisa says, welcome to the Three Geeky Ladies podcast and introduces Suse and Vicky. Suse says, hello everyone. Vicky says, hi. Elisa want to know how we feel about the new Apple product? Sue say, what about the iOS camera? Vicky, or the MacBook Pro update? Elisa, Sue say, and Vicky in unison, then, listen to the Three Geeky Ladies podcast. Siri, the Three Geeky Ladies podcast on the My Mac Podcasting Network.